<laughs> How's everyone doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Okay, so um, good morning. As Rebecca's already said, my name's Ben, um, and we've been leading this church together over the last year or so. And uh, over the last few weeks, in particular, we've been talking a little bit about the type of community that we believe God has called us to be here in the vineyard and uh, so this morning we're going to be continuing on on this journey this time we're going to be talking about what it means to be a community of passionate and authentic worshippers and I'm going to start right back in the story of creation with Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 27 and but before we do that it would be good to pray so father would you open up our hearts Would you just take away any distractions, anything that's bothering us right now, so we can hear what you want to say to us. And as we read scripture together, Father, with your Holy Spirit, just come and be brooding in the room, speaking to each one of us. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. You can read, read it in your Bible if you have a Bible with you or an electronic device you can follow along or, or the words are going to be up on the screen as well. So verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are the imago Dei, which is the Latin term for the image of God. We were made to reflect God's glory in every sense. And we actually, we talk about this all the time around here. If we're going to be a people that make an impact in our community, then we need to understand our royal identity deep down in our hearts. We were made for greatness. We are the image of God. And later on in, in the autumn, Rebecca is going to be kicking off our, our series, which is probably going to take us sort of through October, November, and maybe into December a little bit, looking at who we are. What is our royal identity? What does it mean for how we live? our everyday life. So I'm excited about that and you can look out for that. But um, this morning, if you like, you can imagine you can imagine yourself just as uh, in this picture here as a kind of mirror that's angled at 45 degrees. It's not a physics experiment, um, but um, it's, a, it's a mirror angled at 45 degrees. And, and if you can kind of imagine, it's the glory of God shining down on us. And as it does, so we reflect his glory all around us and into the rest of creation. And, and at the same time, the, the beautiful thing that happens is that the rest of creation is being reflected back to God. And in a nutshell, that's our purpose, to reflect God's glory. We were made to worship. And it's, it's through this lifestyle of worship that we become people that bring transformation. And, it, and it's through this lifestyle of worship that we bring hope to the world around us. And we talk about this all the time. We don't just want a great church, but we want to leave 
a lasting legacy <coughs> in this community. And so worship isn't just a nice noise that we make in this room once a week on a Sunday morning, but what we're actually doing is we're positioning ourselves to receive and reflect God's glory. We were made to worship. And the thing is, whether, whether you've actually realised it or not, worship happens. Okay? Whether you're intentional about it or not, worship happens. Right? All of us worship something. We all worship something or someone, whether we're aware of it or not. It's, it's basically one of our most basic human, human instincts, like, like eating or drinking. And, and there's many things that we can worship, but it's only when we're fulfilling our true purpose as worshippers of God and reflecting his glory do our lives make any sense at all. So this morning, what we're going to be trying to do is we're going to be trying to understand what worship is. And to do that, we're going to be asking just a series of questions. Could we ask who we worship, why we worship, and how we worship? So let's start with, with who or what we worship. And, and this is a really important question, because we become what we worship. If we put our, our focus and our attention and our devotion onto worldly things and follow <coughs> all of our fleshly desires and impulses, and sooner or later, our lives are going to start to reflect what we worship. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. So let's take money, right? So if we worship money or material prosperity and we make it our goal in life to have a, to have a really big house or a super 40-foot yacht down there in Bangor Marina, I know you've been, you've been wondering about that one. Louise, and um, we'll do crazy things to get more. We'll get greedy. We'll start. We'll start scheming up ideas to get, 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 and to keep, keep, keep. And we've seen that play out in the last couple of years in public life, haven't we? It's all over the news at the minute, in a pretty corrupt way. It's not pretty when we decide to make money the object of our worship. And the same goes for power. Has there been any dictators in the, in the history of the world that you can look at and say, what a beautiful life. What a life well lived. Because whether we like it or not, we actually start to become and to reflect that which we worship. And so in the same way, if we choose to make God the object of our worship, then, then we put ourselves onto a trajectory of transformation. Our lives start to reflect him day by day as we walk with Jesus as we learn to be worshippers our lives start to reflect him and we become more like him so if you want to grow if you've kind of been saying to yourself I want to grow um, I, 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 want to, I, want to, I want my life to look more like Jesus then listen up because this thing of worship is so key if you want your life to be shaped, if you want your life to be transformed, if you want to live a radical life as a disciple of Jesus, then we need, we need to understand what it means to be a worshipper. St. Arenas said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. As believers of a creator God and as followers of Jesus, his son, 
We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the essential reality of the universe. And in a world full of so many counterfeits, He is the real deal. That's why we need to worship Him. He is our Creator, He is our Savior, He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the only true God. And the truest, purest, most human form of worship is when our hearts and our lives are fixed on Him. It's only whenever our lives are fixed on God do they make any sense at all. So if you're struggling to make sense of your circumstances at the minute, or uh, you've just had a you've just had a, a tough week, this thing of worship is so key. As we fix our eyes on Him, it's only then does life start to make any sense at all. So we, we worship a God who has taken the initiative. He has pursued us, and this is the overarching story or narrative of the Bible, a God who is pursuing his people. And we see that again and again throughout history, that he has moved to restore and to redeem his people. To bring us back into Eden and back into relationship with him again. And God's great redemption story, starting with his covenant with Abraham through to the deliverance of of the Israelites from slavery at the hand of the Egyptians, and then reaching a crescendo with the coming of Jesus. God himself taking on our likeness, becoming a man and dying on a cross. The creator of the heavens and the earth has lovingly and relentlessly pursued us. And that is why we worship him. The story that we're part of is the greatest love story ever told. And and actually, worship is a response. It's a response to the scandalous love of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, "We, We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. God has relentlessly pursued each one of us. And he has invited us to participate in what the the early church fathers described as the perichoresis. Perichoresis. It's a Greek word and it means circular dance or or divine dance. And perichoresis was a term used to describe the fellowship shared between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we've been invited into the divine dance. That's what we do when we worship. When we come here. When we worship in our own homes. And in our own lives. Moment by moment. We've been invited to dance with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been invited to feast on his presence and to encounter his love. Worship is our response to his invitation. And the great thing about I haven't been to terribly many parties recently, but um, so I'm told the great face uh, the great thing about going to a party or feast is that somebody else does all the work, right? Um, especially if you're a first time guest. You know? 
You don't walk into somebody else's house that you haven't been to before and you've got a massive big banquet table spread and all the rest of it. You don't walk in and start, some people do, mind you, but most people don't walk in and start kind of doing all the dishes, setting all the places out, all that sort of stuff, carrying food all around the place and serving other people. No. When we've been invited to a feast, somebody else does all the work and that is the feast that we have been invited into. Jesus has prepared a table for us. He has laid out the feast. And all we have to do is to show up. So if worship is a response that's not primarily dependent on, on our initiative, then worship is not really about putting on a show for God. We don't need to try really hard to impress him or please him. Our part is to show up and to respond is to his invitation and um, Revelation 19 verses 6 to 9 it talks about a wedding feast verse 6 then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. We've been invited. And this passage speaks of a, of a wedding feast that's to come after Jesus returns. But the truth is, we don't actually have to wait until then. We've already been invited to share in his glory now and our response is to worship so what if what if we actually showed up here believing in our hearts that we've been invited to a party we've been rescued and saved our God has redeemed us he has restored us and he has given us hope so we have a reason to live and we have a reason to celebrate. I've been reading a verse, I've been reading Psalm 51 and the message translation I read from earlier this morning. There's a verse in it that says, Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. Oh God, restore the joy of my salvation. And my prayer for us today is that God will restore the joy of our salvation. God, will you restore the joy of our salvation today? Some of us have really lost that joy and maybe we, we just need to be to be brave and just to admit it. Some of us just really struggle to engage in times of corporate wor worship. That's okay. It's alright to admit that. We don't have to pretend that we've got it all together or put on a performance or just go through the motions. It's okay to admit that. And if you're in that boat, can I, can I suggest that a starting place is maybe just to ask God to restore the joy of your salvation. God, help us believe in our hearts what we already know in our heads, that we've been invited to share in your glory. I long to see us in this community worship without limits.
without caring what we look like or without overthinking it. I love to see us worship with a childlike wonder and adoration. We talk all the time about our call is to be an army, an army who knows who they are and what they carry. And if we're going to be that army, if we're going to impact the world around us, then we need to learn to use the weapon of worship. We worship because he is pursuing us in our brokenness, in our sin. He's calling us. He's calling us into his presence. Into his throne room. Worship isn't just something that we do. It's a place that we go. Wouldn't it be awful if we, if we week by week by week we just missed the opportunity to encounter our creator and to encounter the God of the universe? I don't want to miss that opportunity. I remember when, whenever Rebecca and I first started going to the Vineyard Church in, in Belfast, sort of end of 2010, start of 2011, and we were dry. Um, Rebecca had spent about three years um, on staff at, at another church, um, and that church that we've been part of, it was wonderful in many ways, but it wasn't particularly welcoming of the Holy Spirit. And so coming along to the Vineyard was different. And for the first few weeks, I was, I was deeply moved as I encountered the love of God in worship. And, and every week I showed up with a sense of expectancy. What might God want to say to me today? What area of my life is he going to want to speak into? Is he going to bring his comfort? Is he going to bring his joy? And so I had expectancy. I expected whenever I came came to church every week that God was going to move and that he was going to meet me and he would meet me as, as I heard the word as well but through worship and my prayer is that we would catch that sense of expectancy and that, that expectancy would give birth to passion um, I watched an episode recently about Manchester City a documentary called All or Nothing has anybody seen it? no, just me so, um, I only watched one episode jumping out at me on, on Amazon Prime and uh, Manchester City uh, I know I've talked about another Manchester team three weeks ago, this team are the better Manchester team <laughs> so they are So uh, anyway they're an English football team um, who won the English Premier League last year and in this documentary that it showed, it showed like their first six games of the season and, and the sixth game of the season was, was away at Chelsea and it was a really really tough game and they narrowly won that game 1-0. And I, was, I couldn't quite believe this. Um, I haven't seen a kind of camera capturing what happens in a, in a football dressing room in the moments after a match is over, but it, it kind of it blew me away a little bit. The scenes in the dressing room were incredible. They only won 1-0. It was the sixth game of the season. Grown men running around, jumping up and down, singing and dancing and celebrating with all their might. They still had another 32 games to play. They hadn't won the league. They hadn't anywhere near won the league. But boy, the passion. It was intense. And it was palpable. And sport can do that. Yeah. 
It can draw out the passion and the excitement in us in incredible ways. And music, music is another is another form of entertainment that can do that as well. And, and uh, I, I'm a I'm a big U2 fan. Um, my dad indoctrinated me. Um, and and I've grown up loving loving their music. We used to listen to their their CDs and 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 the way the way and the way out of school every day. Um, and every time there was a new album out or anything like that, Dad had it on repeat all the time. So I was kind of indoctrinated in them. And I've had the pleasure of going down to several U2 concerts over the years in in, in Dublin. And uh, and whether it's U2 or, or another band, grown men and women, full of passion and joy, the same thing happens. Not caring at all what they look like. But yet, we can go wild when Ireland win a Grand Slam on a Saturday and come to church on a Sunday. And we struggle to find our pulse sometimes. <laughs> We're not just here to sing songs. We're creating a space to encounter Jesus. God, restore the joy of our salvation. Increase our expectancy. We were never meant to live on yesterday's model. This relationship that God has invited us into. He wants us to receive from him daily. To encounter him daily. Maybe ask yourself, don't feel any shame with us at all. And I'll ask myself too, because that's fair. Ask yourself, when's the last time God moved in my life? When's the last time I can say that was the Lord? Maybe it's him speaking to you. Maybe it was just a, a, a miraculous <coughs> change in circumstances or just, just something simple like you just woke up and you felt that him, him saying, I love you. I'm proud of you. When's the last time you felt God move? Are you still living of something that happened three, four, five years ago? And there's no shame in that. If there's if you're in the kind of second category, what an opportunity to come again into the room with childlike expectation and expectancy. If we read the Gospels, we can see this kind of response repeatedly to the good news of Jesus. Wonder, amazement, adoration and joy. And it starts right back in, in the infancy nar narrative, just after Jesus' mother Mary had received the visitation from the angel Gabriel. She visited her cousin Elizabeth, who was also pregnant at the time, with John the Baptist, if you remember. And, and as they greeted one another, as the two women greeted one another, Elizabeth responded by joyfully praising God as soon as she came into the presence of Mary and into the presence of Jesus who was in her womb. And at the same time, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. And Mary responded by bursting into song, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Worship is a response to the goodness of God. So if worship is a response, then the next question that we need to ask ourselves is how are we to respond? 
And the, the best instructions on how we respond can be found in, in Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read again from the message translation. So there it is there on the screen. So here's what I want you to do. God helping, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Transformation. Transformation. I love that line. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. That, my friends, is so countercultural. In a world that tells us do what you want, as much of it as you possibly want, to satisfy yourself. And that's freedom. That's not freedom. Readily recognize what you want from you and quickly respond to it. It's called surrender. And the same passage in the New International Version talks about being a living sacrifice. We worship through a sacred style of living, a God-centered life. Worship is about a whole life response to the love of God and our musical worship is actually the overflow of that life. A life that has already been given to worship. We worship with our thoughts, our work, our relationships, how we treat one another, our pursuit of fun and recreation, the way we use our physical bodies. It's all worship. And I don't know about you, but even if I look at the last week, there's no way I spent 100% of my time every day in a posture of worship. Well, probably anyone near that. Each one of us will have times throughout our day um, where our own nature just slips back in and we just simply don't behave like we're worshipping or we're fully alive. And that's because we're on a journey. Transformation isn't something that happens overnight. We are being transformed into a new creation. And, and part of that journey involves bringing what is in, in the darkness into his light and letting ourselves be transformed into his likeness. Our mirror is being constantly polished so that our reflection becomes pure and glorious. Transformation is what happens when we're truly living as worshippers. And that involves surrendering because we can't serve two masters. So let's ask ourselves, what parts of our lives do we need to surrender? Where have we not given him control? <coughs> Is there secret sin that's holding you back from his presence? Are we pursuing ambitions or dreams that don't bring him honour? 
Being an authentic worshipper doesn't just mean putting on a worship CD in the car on the way to work or throwing our hands up in the air on Sunday morning. It means adopting a posture where we allow the Holy Spirit to show us the parts of our lives that aren't in submission to Jesus. And when we submit to him, we become more fully alive. He doesn't want to out us, make us feel bad, make us look stupid in front of others, shame us. He actually wants to lead us into deeper freedom and deeper intimacy with the Father. And so if you're sitting there and some of what I've said resonates with you and you're feeling like a sense of shame or inadequacy, there's no shame in this. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that in our life. He convicts, he doesn't condemn. True freedom begins with surrender. <coughs> and that's a pretty <coughs> countercultural message, surrender. You don't hear many people talking about that in the popular media. You don't open up the magazines that you buy off the shelves in Tesco's and, and have articles talking about living lives of surrender. It's why so many people walked away from Jesus. He attracted massive crowds, but very few of them actually stuck it out and made that journey into discipleship with him. The kingdom road is the narrow road. But the narrow road leads us into transformation in life. So if you want to know how to worship God in a holistic sense, start asking him what areas of your life that he wants you to surrender to him. Are you holding on to a relationship? Have you given him control of your finances? Does how you spend your time honour him? Do you honour him with your words? Do you honour him with your body? And I once heard um, Alan Scott of, of Anaheim Vineyard in California say that culture of a city never rises above the culture in the hearts of the people. So what sort of culture is in your heart? We have a dream for Bangor and the surrounding area and we're contending for the kingdom of God to come and for the culture of this place to be transformed. But the truth is, it starts with us. What sort of culture is in your heart? We can have all the smart strategies that we want, but the truth is that if we as the people of God choose to pursue God with our whole heart and actually live lives of radical surrender, then we will start to see our dreams become a reality. Simple, step-by-step obedience is transformational. Saying yes to Jesus. So that was a long-winded way of answering the question of how we worship. We worship with our whole lives. We worship by living lives of radical surrender. So what about music? What about our Sunday morning times of corporate worship or any other times that we gather at any other stage? What's the relevance of that? (coughs) True intimate worship finds voice in our corporate adoration when we join together because as we worship together, we are the people of God celebrating the victory of God. We're responding together as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, to the invitation of their Heavenly Father. 
some of us we kind of turn up here and we've had a hard morning woke up on the wrong side of bed others of us come in and we're ready to worship and when we worship together we call each other on none of us can have good days every day but we call each other on and that's why it's important that we worship together Romans 15, verse 5 to 6, commands us to worship together. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we worship together, we remind each other of the goodness of God. We're calling each other into the presence of God, into the divine dance, into communion with God. So every aspect of our time together is worship, whether it's in sharing the word of God together, reading liturgy, which we don't really do that much here, singing songs, sharing meals together. What we do together as a community is all worship. When we pray for each other, when we welcome each other, it's all worship. It's not just four or five songs at the start or the end of the service. It's all worship. And the reason we, we sing songs together is because it's something that we can actually easily all participate in together. We can do it with one voice. And music also has a way of engaging our whole bodies in worship. It allows us to, to express our love and gratitude, gratitude to him, sometimes in ways that words just can't express. It connects us to the creative heart of God. Sometimes we're you know, the hand raising might be a bit strange or all the rest of it, but um, I don't know about you, but whenever I go into work tomorrow morning, my body will be there before my, my spirit is. <laughs> and sometimes it's the same worship. We raise our hands, we reach out, we create, we open ourselves, we posture ourselves, we invite the presence of God. Sometimes despite what we feel, and we allow our body to lead our hearts. Doesn't mean you go into work tomorrow morning and stand like this. <laughs> can if you want, I'll not be doing that. But um, our bodies often lead our minds and our spirit. Now, worship is something that's so personal and, and for many of us it's hard to engage in, in corporate song worship because it, it requires us to be vulnerable in the presence of other people and that's one of the reasons um, that i think that there's there's typically more men or more women in churches than there is men because us men we're not terribly good at expressing ourselves emotionally or making ourselves or showing vulnerability around other people But I don't want us men to miss out. I don't want us to miss out. I don't want us just to look at the feast rather than just participating. So I would challenge us, allow yourself to engage in worship. Don't miss out on the feast that's set before you. Don't worry about what other people think of you or, or what you look like. Learning how to worship as part of a corporate body takes time. And what I would say is surround yourself with people who already know how to worship and learn from them.
and a hallmark in the, in the vineyard and a hallmark of our worship as a community is that we want to sing songs to him, not just about him. We value intimacy in worship. And what I mean by that, it's got to be personal. We're not singing about someone. This is somebody that we have a friendship and a relationship with. The king of the universe. And I, there's a song by um, Bethel Worship in California and there's some lyrics in it which I think are really helpful and sort of capture one of our um, values of intimacy and worship. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you and I want to sing right to you. Our God is not far off. He's not distant. He's a loving saviour. He's a friend. He's a loving daddy. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And when we worship, we come into the presence, presence of God. He is here. Another thing we value in our corporate worship is integrity and authenticity. There's a wonderful story in John chapter 4 where, where Jesus encounters a woman beside a well in a town in Samaria. Um, there's so much in that story that I'd, I'd love to unpack, but we don't have the time today. Um, but there's a couple of verses that, that I just want to share with you, where Jesus um, talks about the characteristics of a true worshiper. John 4, chapter, verses 23 to 24. Time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And throughout this, this conversation that Jesus has with this lady, he had engaged her at heart level time and time again, but she kept trying to distract him with religion. She was uncomfortable talking about what was really going on in her life and in her heart, so she kept making a diversion and start talk, started talking about where the correct place to worship was. We can get so distracted sometimes by where we are or what type of carpet we have or what the worship leader's hair looks like. It looks good too. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do it this morning or just like that guy? Don't worry, I wasn't looking at that. We can get so distracted. Yeah, yeah. I can't hear. And you start to get older, your hearing goes as well. So I have no idea what you said. Something about me not having much hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. We were talking about worship, weren't we? <laughs> so we could spend some time getting theological and articulating what it means to worship in spirit and truth. But the short answer is, God doesn't want our religion. He wants our affection. It doesn't matter to him whether we meet in a church with stained glass windows or a hall in a college. It doesn't matter whether we worship with an organ or a guitar. It's our hearts that he's interested in. And part of being authentic in worship means we're honest. And that sometimes means that we bring a song of lament. How long to sing this song? How long? Have you ever read the Psalms? There's warts and all in there. So we've got to be honest and authentic with what's going on in our hearts. The truth is that there's nothing flashy at all about following Jesus. It's not cool at all. It means living our lives 
on the battlefield. And John Wimber, who was instrumental in founding the Vineyard Movement, he used to talk about thinking that we had signed up for a cruise when we decided to follow Jesus, only to discover that whenever we arrived at the dock, that we'd actually enlisted in the army. And the boat wasn't a cruise ship at all, but it was a big, dirty, old warship. And it's hard, because we do life together in community. We've got to keep it real. We've got to be authentic. We've got to tell him what's really going on in our hearts. So we're going to worship together some more. Keith, if you want to, if you want to come back up. Um, but here's another few ways in which you can respond to what, to what I've been saying. You can start asking God to restore the joy of my salvation. You can ask God if there's anything in my life that I need to surrender. You can meditate on that passage in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, and commit to leading a lifestyle of worship. Or you might want to respond to him for the first time today and start following him. And if you do, so we'd love to pray for you. Let's be passionate, expectant 